Community is your neighbours. Will your neighbours pay more for real estate? Community is, will your neighbours not sell their real estate? Do they believe in the neighbourhood? Do they believe in the building? And again, this sense of belonging is such a key ingredient to place buildings. Welcome to The Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, we're going to dig into place buildings and why great communities can create better capital growth and, of course, better cash flow. Should be an awesome show. Hey, welcome aboard if it's your first time tuning into the program. Play the show in double speed. Get your life back. I don't sound like a chimp monk. Of course, welcome back, regulars. We uh, appreciate you here at the Urban Property Investor Headquarters. Uh, we love the fact that you've chosen myself to uh, certainly share information to you on property investment. Hey, I tell you what, property investment always is getting more difficult. It never gets easier. There's always certain obstacles to overcome. And probably one of the biggest challenges today is for A-grade investment real estate, you got to pay a pretty penny. And of course, what that can look like in marketplaces inside, for example, Sydney. You might pick yourself up a character home for sort of two mil in Melbourne or Brisbane. You know, you're spending one and a half million to buy the best real estate in the marketplace. Of course, for a lot of people, it's virtually impossible to go off and do that if they're not earning huge amounts of money. But without question, if you were capable of doing that, there are some great ways to look at the real estate marketplaces without having to accept trade-offs. Today, I want to talk to you about place buildings, which are really a trade-off if you can't buy the best locations inside of our cities. The best places, if you like, are well-trodden marketplaces, the proof of their popularity is usually built into the price. The consensus is in the price. And for the most part, some beautiful housing markets around Australia, which have performed nicely today over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years are millions of dollars. So how do we get the same experience of capital growth if we can't afford to keep up and invest in that price point. We're going to have to consider trade-offs. And of course, common trade-offs in the real estate market is you trade off location, you trade off neighborhood, you'll perhaps trade off infrastructure and movement, you trade off socioeconomics, you trade off perhaps an inferior style of dwelling than what the middle of the market is looking for. Or you can trade off things like size, design, and of course, you can obviously trade off dwelling type. Today, I want to trade off dwelling type 
in a very good place. That is the purpose of today's conversation. If I was to trade off, for example, that I could not afford a $2 million property, but I go into a building, an apartment in a $2 million housing market neighborhood, what should I be looking for? And this is where I want to have the conversation around what are place buildings because the results in place buildings can be absolutely spectacular, but there is a level of ingredients that you need to look for if you're going to play the game of place building. And of course, uh, the general principle of place buildings is that they are in top suburbs whereby people still want to live in those suburbs but they're trading off space of housing but they don't want to be uh, pushed out to lower socioeconomic areas so they consider obviously the apartment marketplace. So when I look at some of, I guess, the recent performance of assets I've put together, there are some standouts which are in what we refer to as place buildings. They are buildings in good places. And uh, probably one I've talked about recently was an asset we put together for $800,000 at settlement. It went on to become worth around $1.8. Three million, but the most astonishing part, in my view, was that the rents went from a forecast eight hundred dollars to thirteen hundred dollars a week for a larger family size two bedroom apartment. The asset is obviously now positive cash flow and is has performed extremely well. How did this real estate do what it did and what were the ingredients for its success? And I really want to sort of talk you through some of the logic around what this, why this real estate was so successful. Now, again, the current rent on this real estate is over $67,000 per annum. It is very, very difficult to find assets in the real estate market that are essentially massive cash flow, cash cows. So there was a few key ingredients as to why that real estate was so successful. The first one without question was not compromising location. It was in a standout marketplace in the city it came from, which in this example was Tenerife. However, the apartment was in a building and the building was a piece of artwork. It was a very beautiful looking property. And uh, in real estate terms, we call that placemaking. And I I will explain to you how placemaking works so you can look for identifying it if this strategy is something you would like to do down the track. Obviously, when we considered this deal, there was without question a wealth disparity of this neighborhood. Tenerife, it's the most expensive housing market in Brisbane. So obviously more people 
with money, live in that neighborhood. And so there is definitely a gap in that neighborhood compared to other neighborhoods whereby richer people are living in that neighborhood. And of course, if you get wealthy tenants, they're going to be able to pay, for example, that type of rent. $67,600 per annum is a lot of money to come out of someone's back pocket. So we need to understand that if we're going to follow the principle of place buildings, we want uh, wealthy residents in the neighborhood. The other key ingredient as to why this asset performed very, very well was its walk score. It had a huge walk score. Um, obviously, the principle behind walk score is as simple as it sounds. If you're going to live in an apartment, you're going to want to be close to other things. You don't necessarily want to live in an apartment walk out of your apartment, get into a car, drive uh, three to four kilometers to something. You want to be able to live on foot and be close to all the action. Hence why people would live in an apartment because they're looking for the lifestyle arbitrage. And of course, the final ingredient for this successful piece of real estate was its great design. Now, ever since I explained this result and I've explained it to a few people, a lot of people have asked me to find something similar to this deal. I think in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. And of course, um, you know, the fact that it's it's gone up 500 grand and rents have basically skyrocketed on it by about $500 a week, people are now questioning, well, how do we do that again? How do I find something like this? And again, when I first explained the deal, not many people actually liked the concept. Um, in fact, really, I only helped three people buy this real estate because it was in a building. And obviously, inside a building, there are multiple properties. And when this property was activated, only three people um, jumped on it. And one lady, Lynn, actually works at my work. So really, I only ever helped two people get this result other than Lynn, or I should say Lynn and Ian, who are husband and wife combination that work at my work. Uh, for some reason, I always leave Ian out. If you're listening, Ian, I'm sorry. We're not leaving you out this time. Um, so why, why did I fail? I mean, I felt like I failed with this deal. I didn't feel like I succeeded because I explained the deal to so many people and no one liked it yet. Uh, the property was built. It took about 18 months to build and it went up so much in, in value that even at settlement, the valuer basically valued it hundreds of thousands of dollars more than the purchase price. But the staggering part for me is what was a uh, nice yield is now completely positive cash flow. So when I explained it, no one liked it. That's the truth of the matter. And um, I guess I feel like I failed pretty badly by not helping people understand the deal better to get the result. Really, I guess this podcast is kind of born, if you like, from my failure to explain what was the ingredients 
to making that deal a success. And uh, I want to share it because I think it's worth sharing and, and I think the idea and principles behind placemaking are absolutely in tune with my values. So I guess when you think about it, right, like people are fascinated by that deal because of its income profile. And today, if you analyze modern cash cows, like short of going out to a weird regional Gopnik mining town, like how are you going to extract income out of property is a big conversation. A lot of people have given up even on residential property as an income provider and gone to commercial, which, you know, is far more volatile because they don't know how to find the income from real estate. And, and really, if you think about modern cash cows that are out in the economy, you could do something like a block of flats, perhaps two incomes on one, uh, like a dual occupancy. Um, you could, you know, furnish property. You could put it on Airbnb and short stay it. Or you can use placemaking, which is what I want to talk to you about today. A good combination is placemaking and a high quality walk score and an affluent income suburb and you can get very, very, very good rents. So when I look back on why I couldn't have helped, say, 10 people get involved in that asset and only I helped two and Lynn and Ian, um, I don't know where I failed, but I want to go through it. Did I fail in explaining the wealth gap? Perhaps I did. Now, we need to understand here in Australia, the wealth is trapped at the top of society, not at the bottom. Uh, if you, for example, use McCrindle Research, you know, they have some great visual stats that really the top end of town earns something like 12 times more than the bottom end of town. So if we understand here in Australia, there is really a have and have not society. I think we just saw that, you know, in the budget earlier in the year, whereby, you know, really government came up with one single concept, which was to care for the bottom part of the economy because they are now just written off. Um, but if we're going to own an asset, do we really want to put it at the bottom end of the economy, which are now getting budgetary handouts? Because putting up the rent at the bottom end of town is is extremely difficult to do. It's, it's, it's virtually impossible for your asset to end up positive cash flow based on current prices whereby you're going to get uh, great income off the asset at the bottom end of town. It's just not feasible any longer. So we need to, for a start, if we're going to analyze the ingredients of what happened, was we need the wealth uh, effect to happen. And really, if we want to understand where the best wealth is, it's from... Um, ultimately, middle class to the highest income brackets. So the highest income brackets tend to want to live in the better suburbs, basically how it works. So if you can imagine there's 300 suburbs in Sydney, 50 of those suburbs 
are going to be where the highest income earners tend to want to live. And of course, if we can narrow down our search of a place building in those neighborhoods, we may be able to get the same effect of what my two clients got uh, buying in that asset in uh, Tenerife. So that's the first, I think, lesson I need to discuss is, is really we to do this, you need to be uh, willing to, to go into areas of affluence. I think where I also failed was I didn't explain place buildings very well. Um, when I look back on it, um, what I explained probably was not good enough when it came to how place buildings work. And uh, if I was to put myself in an investor's position and I looked at this building that I showcased um, to a few investors, I think what they saw was density. Couple, uh, you know, I think there was like 200 apartments in the building. Um, it was like 20 stories. Uh, you know, they saw, for example, running costs. They saw strata fees. They certainly probably saw um, something that was hard to believe when they saw the imagery of, you know, gyms and pools and things like that. And again, like um, each to their own and certainly for the most part, a lot of buildings that are not place buildings are not good investments. Let's just clear that up. What I'm not talking about here is buying a B or C grade building with high running costs because it's got a weird little um, set of amenities. No, that's not what we want to achieve here. What we want to achieve is buying a beautiful place that people aspire to live in, in a location which is completely aspirational, even very discretionary in who it attracts. So I think looking back on really where I went wrong as a property coach was I didn't explain what placemaking is. And today on this podcast, I want to share what placemaking is so that you can get it uh, a good understanding and, uh, and perhaps even think through whether this uh, idea could work for your portfolio and and really think of it as well as much about cash flow because placemaking is a very, very good way to accelerate your cash flow. So, or placemaking buildings, I should say. So what is placemaking? I guess the goal of placemaking, if you, if you kind of want to understand it, is to turn spaces into community. Uh, that's, that's the best way to understand it. And again, the best place makers, which are the people creating the places, consider things like local culture, history, the character of where the property is going. Um, and really, place makers, if you like, encourage social interaction, the bringing together of community, community engagement, and ultimately a sense of belonging. And for investors, it's kind of hard to rationalize because investors 
don't really uh, belong to the local culture. They don't really know the local history of an area. They often don't, because they're investing not where they live, they really don't understand the soul or character of a place. Um, And quite often investors invest off spreadsheet logic. So they'll do some numbers on a calculator, which is important, but what they don't see is great places, uh, great place buildings, great place locations, encourage, for example, a real enhancement of community. And community matters in real estate. I've said this a few times. Community is your neighbours. Will your neighbours pay more for real estate? Community is, will your neighbours not sell their real estate? Do they believe in the neighbourhood? Do they believe in the building? And again, this sense of belonging is such a key ingredient to place buildings. Now, a building is obviously four walls and something inside it. Not every building is created equal. So when I talk about place buildings, I'm talking about the idea that a building is a community. A building is a place of gathering. A building is seen as a home as opposed to many buildings, apartment blocks inside society, which are just rank. They are not in good locations. People do not see them as a home. People see them as a roof over their head. And it's a very different art form when it comes to understanding uh, real estate investments. There's a lot of rubbish in our skyline. There's a lot of rubbish driving through suburbs. I live in Sydney and I can tell you if I drive through Sydney, most apartment complexes are rubbish. They look horrible. They're run down. They're falling down. They are just not good pieces of real estate. However, for the fact that most aren't good, when you find one that is a beautiful place that inspires belonging and community, it is very good because it's in such undersupply that a lot of people love the idea of living there and, of course, will buy and pay more to get into the asset. No different to a cracking area, which is full of community, great schools, uh, great local community and and a sense of belonging uh, in the housing market. But as I sort of alluded to, you know, the A-grade housing market inside of our big cities is is most people can't afford it. Um, So do we go, okay, I can't afford that. Let's have a look at an A-grade place building in a suburb which is all about community. That's today's conversation. Place for placemakers, the people who put this stuff together, it's about for them, it's as much about identifying really hidden gems. And there are so many hidden gems out there. And uh, again, I live in Sydney, and probably the most amazing hidden gem, which has been flagged by Andrew Hoyne, who is an incredible incredible sort of 
architect and liaison to the concept of placemaking is in Darling Harbour. Now, Darling Harbour has a footbridge between the city and Darling Harbour. If you're not familiar with it, um, it's worth Googling. Uh, There's an old monorail station on that footbridge and it's just derelict. And of course, if you don't know what the monorail was, I guess uh, 30 years ago or so, 40 years ago even, um, Sydney had this really useless tram in the sky called a monorail that would um, basically go around the city. And uh, you could, if you wanted to do a lap of the CBD, you could go into the sky and get on this sort of monorail thing and, and go around the city. No one used it. It was useless. It was a useless piece of infrastructure. You could just walk instead of using it and save yourself the fee of using it. But at a derelict level, we've now got a couple of monorail stations which are in iconic places in our cities. One of them has an incredible amount of foot traffic pass it every single day from basically the city down to Piermont. And in the middle, we've got a place called Darling Harbour. So if you Google Darling Harbour's monorail um, station, you'll see an amazing-looking piece of real estate which uh, is overlooking some beautiful, beautiful natural amenity that Darling Harbour has to offer, beautiful waterfront, um, waterside location. Now, again, for a placemaker, they see this derelict piece of real estate as an opportunity and really probably the best opportunity for that particular piece of real estate is for it to become a food and beverage offering for the right person who grabs and reach outs and and turns that real estate into something amazing. They'll be doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a week in food and beverage. The point of the conversation is for placemakers, it's about going that spot, that location should be reborn and that is actually a real hidden gem. Better places equals better income. And for placemakers, they just love the idea that they can find an A-grade location a-grade land and put an A-grade building on top of it to create better income from the better place, whether it's from food and beverage, like the example I just gave you, or if it comes from better buildings from a residential point of view. And usually people who design these buildings are, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars or ultimately billionaires because they don't really do it for the money. They take the money, but they don't do it for the money. They do it for the meaning. And for them, I often see that for them, it's about this kind of legacy principle. I lived on planet Earth and I left a footprint. The footprint I left was I uh, 
recreated a space and a home for people in an A-grade location. This is often the uh, the way they kind of think. And if you think about the monorail, that again, they do it, they don't do it for the money. They've got a lot of money. They would reactivate that monorail station for the meaning, what it can do, how it can improve society, how it can bring communities together. This is really the purpose and the meaning behind what they do. And great placemakers don't necessarily measure results in dollars. For them, quite often, it's a sense of pride and purpose in the asset. By way of example, some great placemakers will measure how many people met and got married from living in a building. They value really bringing people together. They see value in people um, having their wedding inside the building. This is, this is how they think. How do they bring communities together? And really the, the concept for a property investor is the placemaker adds the value for you. And in real estate, we often refer to other people's time, other people's money, and other people's work or other people's design. And really what placemakers do is put the work and effort in so you don't necessarily have to. Yes, you have to buy something off them, but for the most part, what they design is impossible for a simple property investor who probably does another job, you know, they're a school teacher or, or work in a science lab, they would never have the ability to design what is being created. It's just not possible. They wouldn't have the passion, the expertise, the money to create the offering. And so for placemaking, uh, investors make money from other people's work. It's really the principle of doing the real estate from a short-term perspective. Someone's making something really beautiful, architectural and interesting. That's in short supply. If I can participate in that, I'm also going to make money, not just obviously in that situation, the placemaker building the building, the developer. So the concept, though, of placemaking is all about social purpose. This is the, the narrative which you need to really understand. And really how that might look is look after your neighbour and they will look after you. Look after your neighbour and they will look after your property values. Your property will be worth more because it's really attracting more, more interesting and affluent people. And really, in some respects, having seen a few place buildings in my time, I've certainly seen about six or seven of them, which are just amazing. Uh, really, in some respects, it is affluent people meeting other affluent people, beautiful people meeting other beautiful people. And in some respects, I describe place buildings, these buildings which are 
really well designed. Um, they tick a lot of boxes. They've got a lot of different little breakout spaces. They've got rooftop gardens. They've got, uh, you know, internalized meetup activities that are arranged as really some sort of social engineering where people come together to meet. And uh, it is a fascinating science when you see it at work. And I kind of also explain it as hypergamy. It's actually housing hypergamy. Now, the fact that there's almost like these sort of classes that want to live in these affluent suburbs because uh, there is obviously a social benefit to being around other affluent people, you get this kind of, I want to be part of this building effect. And I guess I call it housing hypergamy, which, you know, I don't know if that offends some people, but obviously if you're not familiar with the term hypergamy, it's just the simple action of marrying or hooking up with someone from a higher class. And, um, you know, uh, again, could be controversial. I never know what to say these days, but I guess Prince Harry was from a royal class, Meghan Markle from a Hollywood class. I mean, both amazing class of people. Uh, really, the idea that Meghan married into the royals, technically, in the English language, is hypergamy. Uh, now, obviously, economically, there is economic hypergamy, which is really the concept that people are always looking for a higher class of activity in their life because people ultimately, at a primal level, want to survive. And when we think about the idea that there's a small amount of neighbourhoods that the top 20% of incomes want to live in. It's really this idea that uh, people aspire to be part of this social elite. And it's no different from really the behaviour of people wanting to pay more to get into the social elite suburbs in the housing market as it is in the alpha building market. It's the same concept. Uh, albeit the budget is less than obviously entering the housing market, but you get this kind of alpha place effect housing hypergamy. Where is all the intelligent people living? Where are all the industrial people, industrious people rather? Where are the motivated, ambitious, forward-thinking, hard-working, entrepreneurial? And obviously here in Sydney from... Uh, you know, a relative conversation, you know, you could go to the eastern suburbs, it's pretty much well known for being the best part of the city and you go to Rose Bay and, uh, you know, you get all these young industrious sort of people living down in Bondi and, um, and Bellevue Hill, you get ambitious families, absolutely, absolutely same concept different potential life part of life cycle when you're buying into alpha building you might be streamlining your life downsizing or you might be a young executive 
But the concept is the same. You try and live in these buildings, a placemaking building, to benefit your life, whether you're a tenant or whether you're a home buyer, you're really trying to work on your social status and quite often your social purpose, housing hypergamy. Now, again, hypergamy, the idea of marrying into a better status or living in a better neighborhood doesn't necessarily work for broken neighborhoods, does it? Like no one wants to live in the hood. And again, like there are different areas which are up and coming, which maybe are going through gentrification, which will eventually attract uh, people who see that as a better social place to live. But, uh, you know, they will take time. And again, like the idea of place buildings is that they work off some successful elements. The first one is successful streets. Like they're in nice places. They're not in weird places. Uh, They offer very good open space. So you're not just... I guess, living in your apartment, you've also got other breakout zones to go to. They can be things like gyms. They can be things like joint movie cinemas. They can be, um, you know, things like swimming pools, uh, extra space. Now, often when property investors see that, they just go, oh, that must be um, a strata fee. That's You're going to have to pay for the the... Um, movie cinema. When placemakers see the movie cinema, what they see is, okay, if you're going to live in this building, wouldn't it be a good idea to ask you, do you like romantic comedies or do you like the AFL or do you like the NRL? Okay, well, of the 200 people living in this building, 40 people love the NRL. Guess what? You get an email to come to the movie cinema at 6 p.m. on Friday night to watch Friday night footy. But if you're not interested in the NRL, the building is not going to send you the uh, request to come because you might like romantic comedies, which is airing on Sunday afternoon. Again, placemaking is about the concept of bringing people together. Most experts on real estate do not understand it. Most Um, people dismiss it. Most property investors just see a building and amenities and strata fees. Uh, What they don't see is the extra income you're going to get. They don't see that you can end up positive cash flow from these type of investments. They don't see the growth because they don't understand the meaning behind the product. And again, there are some great buildings that are put in lower middle class marketplaces, they are not place buildings. To have a successful place building, you need to follow the affluence. It's a key ingredient. You can still buy in a nice building in an up and coming area, but that turbo result, which I explained earlier in the conversation, it's really connected to affluence, affluence. Where do the rich people live? Where do rich tenants want to live? 
What do they want to live in? It's pretty much the science. And of course, uh, great place buildings have, as I said, successful streets. They're in good locations. They have really good extra space. They have really good movement framework. Like people live there because they can walk somewhere, go down the street and jump on the tram. They can, uh, you know, move in a quality uh, way. They're not reliant upon the motor vehicle to move. Uh, And it's a key ingredient because, again, like they might have a motor vehicle, but they're not reliant on it. There's plenty of stuff locally. Uh, Obviously, a a, a successful placemaking building is going to have a sense of community. It's a key ingredient, probably the, the most fundamental ingredient to the whole thing. People want to live there. They want to aspire to live there. They don't want to leave. Uh, And there's a waiting list for tenants who would love to break their lease and move into the building because it's the right place. It's the right concept for them. And uh, quite often you also see in place buildings an element of other use, mixed use. So by way of example, you might see... um, you know, downstairs there's a beautiful uh, coffee shop at the at the bottom of the building or there's a little cheeky wine bar or a scotch bar um, that is connected to the building or a famous restaurant might be downstairs which is in, you know, Good Foods Guide, Top 100 Places to Eat. This is the concept. And again, like if I go back to the, to the idea of, um, you know, trade-offs, Really, if if you can spend drop two mil one one point five, you probably don't need to entertain the trade off. But really, when we think about what the trade offs are in real estate, um, for the most part, most people do have to accept that there are trade offs in the real estate economy. And of course, probably the trade off you probably just you don't want to head to first is much lower socioeconomics. I really see that will struggle in this decade. Like the society is split in two. So trading off, uh, just going to a better uh, a better area as opposed to a worse area and choosing a different product type still makes sense to me. Like um, I'm, I'm probably in the camp where it's like, well, how do I replace my income? Where are the best incomes in society? And I would prefer to back that and buy, for example, a nice apartment or a villa or a townhome as opposed to um, missing out on those neighborhoods and going, you know, into the middle of nowhere just to buy a house, whereby the lower socioeconomic people will just never be able to see their uh, their income profile double, so your rents won't double. Now, again, if I go back to why people were fascinated in this deal and the result of it, I'm telling you, it's it, the capital growth was great. It was like 500 grand or something amazing, but the rent, 800 to 1300 dollars a week in rent, that is for a lot of people even more important today. And and really, people are seeing the importance of that in inflation like no one really no one cared about any of this stuff uh 
in a non-inflationary marketplace. No one cared. I would explain it, and I, I the way I explained it obviously wasn't good enough because not a lot of people saw the value that I was trying to explain as a you know property strategist. Here's the strategy. Uh, this will this will work out for you. No no one believed it, and um, only in hindsight can I share this stuff sometimes. But these are my lessons from really the concept of place buildings, like beautiful buildings in good locations, where at a entry level you can still buy into because uh, it's not a house, basically, is you need a good location, you need obviously a higher level of income, affluence, you want a high affluence score, you want a great walk score. Obviously, the property, the dwelling, it needs to be nice designed of course, the building needs to be a piece of artwork in the right street. And wow, you can get some exceptional results. Uh, those two clients and Ian and, and Lynn who work at my work, um, yeah, they're just so chuffed. Like they, you know, like they are positive cash flow in the middle of a major city of Australia, third biggest city in Australia, they are positive cash flow. Normally you have to wait 15 years in an affluent area because of the rental boom. They've they've gone positive cash flow basically from day one. Now, again, that result probably is as much like a bit of a unicorn based on where the rental market is today. But again, like, the ingredients, the building is a piece of artwork and really the idea of this kind of housing hypergamy that this social status of living in this piece of real estate is very, very high, very high, very high. And and I've seen it firsthand, like just speaking to friends who live in that area, they all would all love to live in that building and um, they, they often talk to me about it because they know that I love real estate and they often make the connection, wow, that's just an incredible place to live. Everyone wants to live in that building. Placemaking, place buildings. Uh, that's that's the science. It's not for everyone. Um, and uh, But hey, as someone who's experienced it, um, I thought I would share it because I feel like I've got some valid information to pass on. Hey, thanks for listening to me today. I will catch you on the next episode as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.